Hello everybody, it's Sai, and with me as always is Scottish Danny. Danny, hello. Hello matey, hello everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, just a quick, I suppose, thank you, a quick message before the podcast starts this week, because this episode will drop within a day or so of episode one dropping 12 months ago Danny so it's, it's it's a year a year of Nitro Nights episode 53, 52, 54 whatever it may well bloody be but at the same time whatever it's a year we've been doing this project my friend wow I mean that is just flown by hasn't it it's, it just blows my mind I mean just yeah it's crazy it is it is and I'm loving it. I, I I really really enjoy recording this show. First of all, I record. I really enjoy recording this show with your with your good self, with you, Danny. I love the fact that we have got so many people listening who uh, contact us on Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights and um, <laughs> tell us that they love what we're doing. It's just a, a fantastic project, and I'm so glad that a year ago give or take a few weeks you were happy to jump on board with this when I, when I came to you with this idea and you were really keen and I mean I, I've done numerous podcasts, numerous projects people are aware of how many shows I've done in the past and how many shows I currently do there are times when I start a project I'm crazy excited it doesn't quite work out the way it does uh, and so on. However, with this one, Danny, honestly, it means the world to me every time we record because I'm getting to sit through WCW again. So, from a selfish standpoint, it's amazing. But also, hearing you talk about shows you've never seen before as the big wrestling fan you are and you and I get to discuss this this crazy WCW world it, it honestly it's incredible I, I often record with you with your good self and you won't know this already so the people listening will be hearing this the same time as you uh, it's brand new I suppose but I often record with you shut everything down we say tell our mate yeah good you know we'll speak to we speak to each other soon and all that good stuff i go downstairs and i say to my wife sharon that was brilliant i fucking loved it even when we've both given the show we're reviewing a miss rating we both you know i, I uh, and we both hate what we've seen or hate what we've watched or think it could have been a lot better i go downstairs and i tell my wife sharon my god that was brilliant i loved it so much just getting to speak to you every week my friend is fantastic and what makes it even more incredible for me is that people want to listen to us talk about this yeah i mean it, it blows my i just can't grasp it i mean this has been i believe this has been the longest podcast i've been on um, because <laughs> I think we've been doing episodes basically every week, here, uh, give, give or take. Um, there's, it's just been fantastic to actually learn 
uh, about WCW and all the, uh, the the wild matches we've seen, all the bad matches we've seen, but all the good matches that we've seen, um, even in the peak of um, the uh, just the beginning of um, the Monday Night Wars, it's, it was still good because we all got a chance to um, have a laugh about how stupid um, the Zodiac was or the Shark was or anything <laughs> like that. Or even the commentary. It's all been brilliant, mate, just uh, going from this from, from day one. He's not a fish. He is a man. <laughs> True, mate. But, I mean, I, I don't know what's more bizarre, that or the reasoning why the Zodiac turned into the booty man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So crazy, isn't it? But, I mean, I'll tell you what, we've not seen them for a while. We've not seen the booty man for a while, which I'm very happy about. But we've not seen the booty babe for a while, which I'm not happy about. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Where is she? No idea, mate. But no, it's, in honesty, it's not just to yourself and to everyone that's listened. It's, it's been fantastic. Um, I feel my confidence has grown in doing things like this, like podcasting, and because of um, all the great friends and people that just tweet us and yourself as well. So it's been fantastic. You've always. Uh, written nice messages after and it's just like oh wow this is actually really fun to actually sit down especially since the i mean when we started doing this the shows were 40 45 minutes and now they're 90 minutes and it's just been a blast yeah you wait my friend we got thunder to start soon we got got three hour nitros um (laughs) but no i I appreciate that i really do i appreciate that. that that's that's lovely to hear um I'm glad you're having a great time. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. I'm glad you're enjoying uh, watching this back and and so on. And uh, I cannot wait to just carry on for the the next God knows how many years we have because we're we're now in what mid '96, and we've got until 2001. We've got all the thunders to be added to. We're going to be doing this for a long time, Danny long time <laughs> yeah definitely that's something uh, you said at the beginning you said that this would be a, a years long project and I was just fully on board I was like well I haven't actually sat down and uh, just to peek behind the curtain I only got the WWE Network uh, January 2021 which is quite okay. late because it came out here I think 2015 <laughs> but I got it and I, I never clicked on that because I was just I want to watch all the Wars the Smackdowns all the ECWs the new ECWs and then when you approached me with this I was like oh wow actually you know what I've never actually sat down I had no idea who the shark was who the Zodiac was <laughs> things like that I'm so, um, I'm so so sorry no <laughs> <laughs> or just, no but just the great stuff as well like Kevin Sullivan being a serious heel or these fantastic Dean Malenko matches or Chris Benoit matches um, just wrestlers that I grew up watching like Chris Benoit or like Big Bubba Rogers um, in in their WCW days has been fantastic as well. Even the Giants, because I've only known the Giant from uh, WWE. And it's like, wow, he's actually better here than he was in WWE. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's two things I want to say very well, maybe, maybe three things I want to say very quickly before we depart, because everyone's pressed play on this podcast to hear us talk about 
the next episode of Nitro. They don't want to hear you and me rambling on, Danny. Well, they probably want to hear from you. Nobody wants to hear from me rambling on, but that's the way it is. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of things I want to touch upon. First of all, when I finish a recording with your good self, and I go downstairs and I say to the wife, this is this, this is that, that's been great, I've loved recording with Danny. Uh, Sharon, my, my, my good lady, she has no interest in my thoughts. She says, did Danny like this Nitro? Did Danny like this pay-per-view? Did Danny like this Clash for the Champions? So that's interesting in itself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hearing you say that you've not, you know, you just have a WWE network until very recently and you've not seen any WCW and so on. I love that because that's what the show is based upon. And this show, the way it works, would not be... I'm going to say it, I don't care how arrogant I sound. It would not be as good as it is without you. I could sit down every week, talk about WCW. I could sit down every week, talk about WCW with various people I know who have seen all of WCW. I could sit down and discuss this Nitro, that Nitro, and how great Eric Bischoff is, and all that sort of stuff. But that wouldn't make this show as great as I think this show is. What makes this show is you. You are the star of this show. And the reason being, you've not seen all this before, but you're a massive wrestling fan. So it's not like I'm bringing somebody in from the outside to sit down and watch wrestling for the first time. You're a wrestling fan who knows what they're on about, who is viewing this crazy company that was at one stage the biggest wrestling company in the world. But you're viewing it for the first time. And I feel so fortunate and so lucky and so grateful that you're on this journey with me. That honestly, it, I cannot express enough how, how happy and fortunate I feel that you're you're doing this with me. And secondly, well, thirdly, fourthly, I don't know where we are now. You've got the seventhly, I don't know. But um, <laughs> lastly then, I suppose, is the right term. I want to thank everyone who has listened to this show because I would record this if we had zero listeners. I would record this show with you every single week going through the shark the zodiac the booty babe and all that bollocks and then the nwo hall mash and all the great stuff as well i would record this every single week with you whether people listened or not but people do listen and it blows my mind that some fat guy from gloucester who <laughs> Some fat guy from Gloucester with a shitty, crappy beard that's going grey and, uh, you know, a messy setup to podcast in, you know, some, some waste of space in Gloucester who talks about a wrestling company that went out of business 20, what, 22 years ago this year? Yeah. With a guy who I've never met personally, a guy who there's pretty much it's fairly certain that there's several warrants out for your arrest for different <laughs> murders um, <laughs> people listen and 
I want to say, first of all, again, Danny, thank you so much to yourself. But secondly, and most importantly, thank you so much to everybody who has listened for the last year and everybody who has retweeted and everybody who has got involved and everybody who's bought merch. I mean, people who buy T-shirts, they fund the show. I want to stress that massively. You buy a T-shirt, you fund the show. Running these podcasts, running the uh, the network that Nitro Nights appears on at SJP World Media, running the network, it costs money. You buy a T-shirt, you fund the shows you hear. It means so much. And I just want to say thank you so, so much to everyone who listens. And again, Danny, thank you so much to you for the last the last year of watching WCW and the ups and the downs and at the moment we're on a big up but I'm sorry to tell you mate spoiler alert we're gonna have some big downs <laughs> it doesn't matter to me mate I've enjoyed if we got through the first set of downs we can definitely get through the many many more humps that go down as well <laughs> no but thank you to everyone who's listening as well um as I said before, it's just it's a huge confidence boost and I've made loads of friends from it and people who message the show, people who message me. Um, yeah, it's it always been fantastic, mate. I mean, I don't think there's a day that goes by without someone messaging us and saying, oh, we're listening to this and we're listening to uh, your reactions. Um, and we've met so many people, haven't we? Yes, yes, we have. I mean, there's, there's a certain community online that we're a part of and I'm thankful for every single one of those people but there's also people outside of that little bubble that kind of message and tweet and so on that have become um, important to us because they listen every week and they're you know WCW fans from back when or they're just discovering WCW now I actually had some. I'm not going to name names because that's 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 unfair. But I actually had somebody. Uh, I believe the term is DM me on Twitter, um, and probably about what it had been a few months ago, a fair few months ago. And I, I WhatsApped you about it, Danny, and, and told you about it then. But for those listening, somebody who said they've never seen WCW before, but none of their friends are wrestling fans but they listen to our show and watch along with us which i love i love those people that watch along with us absolutely fantastic because they're they're in they're enjoying or suffering shall we say (laughs) um, (laughs) what we're going through as well but this particular individual who lived in the states that they're from from the us uh said basically thank you so so much um, I'm, I'm watching this along with you and they wait for us to drop the episode before they will watch the show they don't race ahead or anything like that and they feel like they're part of a big community now and to me that's incredible, that blows my mind that somebody god knows how many miles away, right across the water has found friends online and has us to listen to and they said they have certain issues going on in their life and listening to us has helped them through that 
it blows my mind that we can make even a tiny difference in any way, shape or form. Just talking about this nonsense bullshit wrestling company. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that always just is just fascinating to hear. It's like, wow, it's, um, it's just been fantastic. But the message I'll give everyone, um, just be open-minded when it comes to wrestling because for a long time, uh, all throughout my teenage years and probably all my 20s, I was just focused on a particular era of wrestling, like uh, mid-2000s, and I didn't really bother about the 90s. It's something that the great Steve-O has said as well himself when he appeared on Chain Wrestling. He's like, he'd never watched WCW, and when he did, seeing his reaction has been brilliant as well. But it's like, that's if I could just point a message for just be open-minded, um, it's something that I picked up from you actually, so from chain wrestling because oh, you okay. and Mags, um, you cover so many uh, eras of wrestling. It's like I always sit down there on a Monday afternoon and say, okay, am I going to watch um, a Tony Atlas match from the 1980s? And I do. I'm and I'm so, like, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, but it's like just be open-minded. Don't stick to the same things because you're like. Um, it's just yeah just you experiencing new things bad or good um but you're still having a really good time and you're making more friends than ever yeah exactly exactly that's a pretty i'll tell you what there's not much i can add to that you know we'll we'll, we'll probably leave it there because people are probably getting bored of us rambling on danny <laughs> and they want to get into this particular episode of nitro that nitro nights is covering this week so i mean at total steve on twitter is an absolute legend he hates wcw yes, I mean. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we he, love but, him yes but when, when he appeared on chain wrestling it was like he never he openly admitted he'd never seen wcw and it was like wow yeah this is this is the kind of guy um who is in our community who's opened his mind and said i'm gonna watch wcw and appear on chain wrestling and talk about it that is true that is true yeah, we love you, Steve. Yes. And, and we lo- again, thank you so much to everybody who listens. We love you all. Everybody retweets. Everyone who buys T-shirts or hoodies or whatever. Thank you so so much, Danny. Uh, for me personally, thank you so so much for agreeing to start this project. That's the first year done. We're watching some good shit. In a few years' time, we're gonna watch some terrible shit. <laughs> I look forward to recording this kind of message again, where you're sounding quite glum. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, mate. Same. It's been fantastic. And as we roll into year two, I can just say a massive thank you to you, yourself, and everyone. You're very welcome. And again, thank you to everyone who listens. So, there we go. One year of Nitro Nights. I've loved it. Danny's loved it. I hope you've loved it. On with the show, I guess. The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. 
You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to WCW Nitro Nights, exclusively on the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai, and joining me as always as we trudge through WCW, well I say trudge, that's probably a bit unfair, because we've enjoyed the television over the last few weeks. And when I say we, I reference myself, and obviously my glorious co-host, the guy everyone really wants to hear from, the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are you doing, my friend? I'm really well, thank you, mate. How's yourself? Pretty good, bud. Pretty good. Loving how quickly we're getting through these nitros now and how much it seems to be a, well, quite enjoyable TV show to watch, doesn't it? It really is, mate. I mean, they're just flying by. You just don't want this period to end. No, no, it's very true. Very true. Uh, today's episode of Nitro Nights is looking at the Monday Nitro that first aired on the 24th of June, 1996. It comes to us from Charlotte, North Carolina, so very much flair country. And in the TV ratings for that evening, Nitro, obviously this is going to be a reoccurring theme for the next God knows how long, Nitro won the night with regards to the ratings war because we we're just entering the 83-week period where they dominated. Nitro received a 3.3, so a smidge down from last week, and Raw received a 2.7, which is a smidge up from last week. However, it's still a win for Nitro overall. Uh, with regards to Monday Night Raw, Danny, on this particular evening, the card consisted of Ahmed Johnson beating Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Skip and Zip defeating the Brooklyn Brawler and Jerry Fox, uh, a six-man tag between Vader, Owen Hart, and Davey Boy Smith, who won this contest, and they defeated the combo of Aldo Montoya, Savo Vega, and Barry Horowitz. And the main event saw The Undertaker defeating Steve Austin by disqualification when Goldust interfered. Steve Austin, of course, the newly crowned king of the ring there in 1996. So it doesn't look like a bad card. Well, the main event especially, look, you know, looking back, with hindsight, I mean, obviously in 96, Austin wasn't the, the megastar we knew him to become in 97 and onwards. But still, Austin Taker main event, it didn't look like too shabby a car, Danny. No, it didn't. I mean, that's a very, like, maybe WWF aren't seeing what WCW is doing and it's like, we've got to start ramping up the cards. But I'm glad um, they got Barry Horowitz on the card of that Raw. <laughs> Ah, yes. Big shout out to Pig's Bladders there. <laughs> uh, somebody who is not on this card, however, that we are checking out on the Monday Nitro is Eric Bischoff. He is not there again, still suffering 
from the attack of the outsiders at the Great American Bash. A well, will it be eight eight days ago now from when we're we're looking at this episode? Yeah. I guess. And we have the combination of Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco on commentary for the first hour before Bobby Heenan will join us for hour two. And straight away, we're, we're plugging Bash at the Beach. Straight away, Danny, aren't we? We, yeah. we get the fireworks at the start of the episode. We go to the commentary desk and all we're talking about is Bash at the Beach coming up. Yeah, I mean, they spent seven minutes on this segment. I think it was pretty refreshing to see that Eric Bischoff didn't just pop back up the week after he'd been attacked. Um, I love that uh, Tony Schiavone explained where Eric Bischoff was. He was in hospital. People could send cards and things like that. But, um, yeah, this was really refreshing. I wonder how many cards Eric Bischoff got. I'm guessing not a lot. <laughs> we should ask him, shouldn't we? Should I, t- yeah. should, I, should I tweet him right now and see if he responds before the end of the show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do it now. Hold on one second. I will tweet Mr. Bischoff right away. Woo! Okay, here's what I've sent. Uh, and we'll see. We'll, we'll be recording this for the next, uh, I don't know, however long it takes. Normally we go about an hour, hour and a half. So maybe Mr. Bischoff will respond before the end of the show. If he doesn't, we'll see if he responds before our next recording date. He may just completely blank us, which is very possible as well. But uh, I have sent Mr. Bischoff from the Nitro Nights podcast account at Nitro underscore Nights uh, at Eric Bischoff, recording our latest episode, looking at the 24th of the 6th 96 Nitro. Tony Schiavone opens the show saying fans can send you get well cards after the Great American Bash attack. At Scottish Juggalo and I are wondering if you got any, please. And we will see if Mr. Bischoff responds. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. <laughs> Let's just have a look. Okay, no worries. But yes, Bischoff is still no longer, uh, well, he's no longer on the commentary at the moment anyway. Because of this, we then go from the uh, Bash at the Beach, um, I suppose, plug promo efforts by Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco to another recap of the Great American Bash showing the attack on Mr. Bischoff before we then cut backstage to Mean Gene, and he is with Sting, Macho Man, and Lex Luger. And they're all painted up. They're all, they've all got their faces painted in the Sting style, and they're talking about the upcoming six-man with the Outsiders and their mystery partner, Danny, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I love the look that all of them had here. It was like, yeah, we're united against um, these Outsiders. We're, we're here, and we're here to defend WCW. Mm, that's right that's right and they did they it's referred to throughout the show i suppose because obviously we, we see sting macho man and luger in matches later on and they start the face paint on it's referred to as their war paint to show a sign of unification i guess yeah uh, eventually we have the steiners arrive in in the locker room as well and they're pointing the finger and shouting a little bit and they're trying to say that we've got your back at bash at the beach but tonight we're coming for your tag titles. Them Harlem Heat arrive and stand with their backs to the camera, blocking the view of absolutely everybody else. Poor little Mean <laughs> Gene has been lost in this collection of huge muscly bodies. And everyone is just a bit shouty, Danny, and I don't really know what they're saying. Yeah, th- this was a bit of a problem because it was like um, you could just you just hear, hear just screams and things like that. But the highlight of this was um, for me was uh, when Lex Luger almost says WWF instead of WCW. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? I mean, he's yeah. been in WCW now for quite a while, mind. It's not like <laughs> it's not like this is this, it's not like he's only just signed. I mean, we're, we're now in um, the the June of '96. He returned to WCW on the very first Nitro, which was September '95. You'd think he knows which company he's working for by now. 
you think, mate, you'd think, especially that he's been uh, a defender of the of said company, but now um, is he a defender of WWF? Oh, maybe he's the third man, Danny. Maybe, maybe. Well, obviously, it's <laughs> fucking not what I'm saying, but you know. <laughs> uh, we go back to the ring, however, for our first contest. And whereas as a TV viewer, it's quite interesting hearing Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco talk about Bash at the Beach coming up and then the Great American Bash recap. And then we get this interview with Sting, Macho Man and Lex Luger, I suppose Team WCW for want of a better term. And then, of course, the, the Harlem Heat arrive, the Steiners arrive and they're referencing their triangle match in the main event as night show for the tag titles. Whereas that's interesting for a TV viewer. I couldn't help but think about the live crowd. Now, Nitro goes on air, and there's all fireworks and fanfare and so on. The crowd all get up and they're excited, they're cheering. But then for the live crowd, nothing happens for quite a while, does it? Yeah, um, seven minutes. I mean, that's uh, it's quite. Um, it must be quite a, a headache to sit there and just like think, okay, what's going to happen next? <laughs> Mm, exactly. Uh, what does happen next, though, is the music for the Blue Bloods hits. And um, we have Stephen Regal and Dave Taylor, accompanied by Jeeves, I believe is how you say it, the, bat- the butler, and Bobby Eaton, or Robert Eaton, as he's referred to when he's a member of the Blue Bloods. And they are going to be taking on the team of Public Enemy. Now, there's a weird sound thing going on here Danny the theme tune for Public Enemy comes on and you can't hear the crowd anymore you can't hear the commentators anymore you then get Public Enemy cutting a promo in like the little uh, the little insert the extra screen in the corner but you can't hear what they're saying initially and it's another one of those times when WCW seems to be having sound issues doesn't it yeah, um, I initially thought this was WWE Network editing, but we haven't seen it this bad for any Public Enemy um, matches on the network. But yeah, it, this was definitely a sound issue. It was really disappointing because I actually wanted to hear what a Public Enemy uh, had to say. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this match is... I suppose this match is kind of dominated by what I'm hearing on commentary. I struggled to keep focused, I suppose, is the word I'm searching for. I struggled to keep focused, or the match struggled to keep my attention. It did, It seemed a bit clunky. It's, maybe it was a clash of styles, I don't know, because Public Enemy work a certain way. Uh, Regal especially has a certain way that he does things. Maybe it was a bit of a clash of styles. It was a bit clunky, a bit messy at times. But the commentary team aren't really interested in what's going on in the ring. They're still very much pushing bash at the beach and you know you can understand why it's a big big deal it's the biggest thing wcw have have done but it's that scenario of uh, i understand the commentary team have got to push what's coming up and last week we were singing their praises because they're pushing what's coming up really well but at the same time i think they got to get the balance right with regards to what's on the screen as well otherwise it just gets kind of lost in the shuffle danny yeah, I mean, um, I think we're starting to see that here now. Um, we went, we praised uh, the announcers for not talking about obviously the, um, the outsiders for the entire night a few weeks ago, but here it was kind of like, okay, we've got two weeks for the pay per view. Uh, we have to get, we have to get the um, storyline across, and if it has to be sacrificed in a public enemy match then i guess it's no no um big loss is it <laughs> well i suppose i suppose uh, the match ultimately ends with uh 
Bobby Eaton uh, tripping Johnny Grunge, who lands on his own cast headfirst. But then he uses the same cast to hit Dave Taylor with and knocks him out. (laughs) It was just a bit messy, Danny, wasn't it? Yeah, very wacky. A very wacky finish. But this is WCW. Yes, we're told on commentary as well that we're in flair country, and the, the, you know that is very apparent with the crowd. We get huge "We want flair" chants right from the beginning of the show. Uh, but the commentary team focus on the fact that the horsemen are here, flair is here, savage is here, uh, and also Kevin Green is apparently here, and he is hunting for Mongo. Apparently, ah, I wonder what that will entail. Mm, exactly exactly and then we also get totally shawnee mention that the outsiders have been seen they are there too but we don't know where they are what they're up to what's going on and tony shawnee throughout the show uh and larry zabisco to a degree but bobby heenan especially in the second hour put across this kind of sense of nervousness and, and, and maybe touching upon paranoia as to where Nash and Hall are and when they're going to turn up and what they're going to do. And it, it really gives this air of unpredictability and, and sort of a, 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 an air of danger to it, Danny, doesn't it? It really does, mate. It's, it could um, easily be changed to, oh, the outsiders are backstage, so, so they're confirming it. But the fact that Tony Schiavone said that um, they've apparently been seen um, backstage, but they, he can't confirm if they're there or not. Mm. It makes all the difference because it's like, okay, it's Chinese whispers, it's rumours, isn't it? Yeah, and there's another report that apparently they might have been seen in the car park as well mm. and stuff like that. So, yeah, it just sort of adds to the intrigue of what's going on, I guess. Uh, what comes up next is Kevin Sullivan potentially making his quickest entrance to a wrestling ring I've ever seen. <laughs> he is very, very keen to get to the ring, and he is facing a guy who I've got the name down here, Danny, as being Kip Avey. Have I got that right? I don't think I have, have I? Well, I'll tell you what, you did better than me because I didn't even catch his name. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Imagine um, that quick. <laughs> Sullivan gets into the ring throws uh we'll go with kip shall we throws, yeah. throws young kip out of the ring fights on the outside fights through the crowd and then kind of gets escorted back to the ring by the referee where mean gene is waiting for him and benoit uh, r anderson versus the the giant and kevin it is the giant isn't it yeah yeah uh benoit and r anderson are apparently gonna face kevin sullivan the giant at the bash at the beach uh but and Sullivan cuts a promo, a bit ranty, a bit shouty, a bit eighters. Up until the promo itself, which I don't think was necessary, and Jimmy Hart jumping around like a little irritating knobhead that he is. <laughs> I liked this because I like this version of Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, I mean, this was what we were saying about three weeks ago. Um, this version of um, Taskmaster reminds me of Brock Lesnar <laughs> because he just comes out, destroys his opponent, is just looking dominant, and then he's like, he has to get to other business. He's like, okay, I've got to sell um, a pay per view match, and then uh, it was when the Taskmaster and Young Kip, as you called him, were climbing the stairs. That's when we found out about the this big tag team matchup at um, Bash of the Beach. And I was like, wow, I've never even heard of this. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing that match as well. But, I mean, it's, it's an odd one for me because there's there's added stakes to the match and it makes it 
extra interesting from that standpoint because the horseman combination of Benoit and Arn Anderson, if they win at Bash at the Beach, then one of the horsemen gets a world title match against the Giant the following night on Nitro. So there's quite high stakes involved. However, I don't really like the idea that the world champion is in a tag match on the pay-per-view. Yeah, it's not very traditional at all, is it? Mm. I mean, could the Giant maybe have not been in the match and Sullivan had a different tag partner? But then I suppose you're looking at the Dungeon of Doom and and what have you got there? You've got Big Bubba, uh, you've got the, the likes of, well, those guys that are left in the Dungeon of Doom, I couldn't even tell you who's there anymore because it's been a bit, a bit of a sort of on the back burner. I suppose the Giant is really the only option to make it um a, a bigger deal on the pay-per-view i guess but i think we lose something by not having the world title defended yeah come on sir just admit you want the giant versus arn anderson i'd love to see the giant versus arn anderson <laughs> yeah, i definitely would i'd like to see the yeah. giant versus benoit but i mean this again we get hinting here from the commentary team uh, and whilst all this is going on we're getting chance of we want flair of course and um <laughs> we're getting you know hints at the the outcome from the commentary team in that if Benoit or Arn Anderson win the match for the Horsemen then Flair will get the world title match and obviously we don't know if that happens or not yet we don't even know if the Horsemen team are going to go to the uh, the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view and win however the way that this is sort of being um <sighs> described to us the way this this seems like it's going to be booked takes me back to proper horseman time when protecting the world championship and getting the world title into the horseman around flair's waist and protecting that was the number one aim of the group even at the expense of other people and other opportunities so i like that because it's a proper throwback to real horseman business danny yeah Definitely, man. It's something I'm really looking forward to getting to um, in a later date is the uh, the prime horseman years. Mm. Uh, okay, I mean, with regards to prime horseman years, we'd need to go back in time from where we are, really. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I mean, in the future, I'll look into the 80s. Oh, well, that's something maybe we can do as a bonus episode, Danny. Yeah, that'll be up yeah. for that, mate. <laughs> yeah, I've got, obviously got our bonus episode looking at the formation of the NWO coming up very soon as well. Uh, what follows this promo with Mean Gene and Kevin Sullivan being a little ranty dwarf that he is, uh, is a Glacier promo, a little video package saying, Blood runs cold, Glacier is coming to WCW again, Danny. How excited are you now? I really am. I mean, could he be the third man, Si? <laughs> Uh, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> we have next, though, possibly the best Bobby Walker match I've ever seen. Have you have you seen any Bobby Walker matches better than this one, Danny? Absolutely not, mate. I mean, we've, we've, it's been a while since we've seen hard work Bobby Walker on that show. And I would mm. fully agree, this is his best match, hands down. We have hard work, Bobby Walker coming to the ring, and he is facing the man of a thousand holds, Dean Malenko, for the Cruiserweight title. We're informed here that Dean Malenko will defend the championship against Disco Inferno at Bash at the Beach. So they're not even giving the slight chance that Bobby Walker might win it here. They're just talking <laughs> straight away about Malenko beating Disco Inferno at Bash at the Beach. And 
uh Dean Malenko's in control for pretty much the majority of the match we see some great stuff from him a real painful looking camel clutch a a snap suplex which had a real sort of torque to it it looked quite vicious the the Dean Malenko powerbomb which always looks impressive but then the powerbomb leads directly into the cloverleaf hold which I thought looked really smooth really well done um before we get to the end and what happens Danny how good is Dean Malenko man in 96 this guy is just unbelievable he really is. I mean, I'm loving seeing uh, his matches um, that we, we're seeing so far. So, yeah, I fully agree. We get Disco Inferno arriving, though, carrying a gold disc, because apparently his album has sold a certain number of copies, which means it's now a gold disc. Um, can you remember the name of the album, Danny? No, I cannot. <laughs> it's something about shaking his booty or something like that. So, yeah, there we go. Uh, Disco distracts Di Malenko, which I didn't really like, to be honest. I think somebody whose whole gimmick is being ice cold, uh, well, they call him the Iceman, don't they? And, you know, he's a wrestling machine and so on, shouldn't get distracted just by turning up on the side of the ring, having a little bit of a dance. But yes, Malenko is distracted by Disco's arrival. Bobby Walker then tries to take advantage from this. Uh, But Disco Inferno gets in the ring and starts dancing in the ring whilst the match is going on, demands that his music plays, climbs upon the middle rope and starts doing all of his disco moves. And I'm not going to lie, as as ridiculous as this is, I really enjoyed it. It really made me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> it was really funny because um, I, I just, I guess the biggest positive thing you could say about this Disco Inferno interaction is um, we found out that, Malenko vs. Disco is happening at the pay-per-view, but we had nothing to base it on. Like, why are they wrestling? So, um, Disco coming out here, to me, I would have put uh, the announcement after Disco came out because that would have said, oh, here he is. This is why he's wrestling at the pay-per-view. So, I think they put the cart before the horse here just a little bit. Okay, I can see your point. I can see your point. Uh, ultimately, Dean Malenko does win the match uh, as Disco Inferno is dancing. Dean Malenko just carries on wrestling, which, I, again, really tickled me. He's suplexing Bobby Walker in the ring, and, and the match carries on as Disco Inferno is dancing away to his own theme tune before Dean Malenko monkey flips Bobby Walker out of the corner. He lands on his feet. That looked very impressive, and he sort of starts chopping off a little bit towards Disco Inferno before Dean Malenko hits him with a dropkick, sends Disco falling out of the ring, and then pins Bobby Walker with a lovely suplex and net bridge combination. Uh, mean Gene then speaks to Dean Malenko after the match. Disco then interrupts this as well and refers to Dean Malenko as Mr. Personality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> it was great, wasn't it? It was great. And he admit, <laughs> Disco Inferno kind of carries this segment for me, really, because he's the one with the charisma. He's the one that has a character. I, mean, I love Dean Malenko as a wrestler, but you can't really say that he's he's using charisma or anything like that, can you? But no. here, Disco Inferno really carries this segment and starts talking about how you know wrestling's a business and we're we're in the pro we need to be getting viewers and people want to see me. You're boring. Is effectively what he was trying to explain, Danny, wasn't it? It sounds very much like the Disco Inferno of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Uh, so yeah we've got that to look forward to in the pay-per-view I mean, it's going to be uh, I mean if anyone can get a great match out of Disco Inferno it's going to be Dean Malenko so I'm quite I'm quite intrigued to see what we get from them yeah me too mate it should be really good indeed 
Up next, we get a returning Eddie Guerrero. He has been away in Japan wrestling for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he is facing here the much bigger Barbarian. Uh, the match is very much based around Eddie Guerrero's speed versus the Barbarian's power moves. Uh, talk us through what you saw here, Danny. Did you enjoy this one? Yep, I really enjoyed it. It was a classic of um, a classic tale of of big man versus uh, medium sized man because I don't want to call Eddie Guerrero a small man. But um, yeah, this was like this whole match told the story of like um, Eddie Guerrero fighting from underneath. And again, somebody like who's faced quite a lot of losses that we've seen on Nitro Barbarian, but he still looked like a threat during this. Yeah, I think it's the way the way things are done, the way things are booked. Hmm. Here we have Eddie Guerrero, you know, hitting drop kicks and and so on. It's very much you know hit and move from Guerrero. He doesn't want to get grabbed by the Barbarian because of the Barbarian's superior power. However, when the Barbarian does get hold of him. He does have this crazy power bomb he uses, a pump handle slam, a big suplex off the top rope, lots of huge power moves. So the story they're telling is relatively simple, but incredibly effective for me. Yeah. And that Eddie Guerrero is faster and you know he can he can hit these drop kicks, he can hit these quick moves, but then he has to get away so the barbarian can't use his main asset, which is his power and his strength. When the barbarian gets hold of Eddie Guerrero, he is obviously too much for Guerrero. I think it's really well told in-ring story yeah and then the finish is um barbarian tries for a superplex but eddie reverses it and gets the pin i thought that was very very logical and again it comes back to the point of of, of you saying that the barbarian he's lost quite a few times on on television and what we've seen but he still always looks a threat he still always looks imposing the way this match is done eddie guerrero comes away with the win because there's there's more in there's more stock in Eddie Guerrero at the moment in 1996 than there is for a Barbarian run in 1996. Yeah. You know, the, the, Eddie Guerrero's career is going in the upward tra- tra- trajectory, shall we say. Yeah, definitely. But here, the Barbarian comes away. You know, he's lost the match, but it's like, oh, you know, it was just one little slip up and Guerrero took advantage. It's not like Guerrero beat him, hands dying or dominated him. So I mean, it, it saves face for the Barbarian while still having Eddie Guerrero win the contest. Yeah, I can see that, mate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have Bean Gene again. He's interviewing everyone tonight. I mean, we've talked about how busy <laughs> Gene is the last couple of weeks, but this is ridiculous now. It is, mate. Yeah, I, but I was happy to see him just... Uh, run out to the ring and then uh, interview Eddie Guerrero here. Yeah, I, I almost want him to have like the trap door that the Ultimate Warrior had in <laughs> WCW. So that when the match ends, you can just have a little puff of smoke and Gene appears, like a little bold genie carrying a microphone in the middle. That you know, would be just brilliant. Like, just like, pop, and here's me and Gene. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gene is interviewing Eddie Guerrero and Eddie says he wants the United States title, but also takes the time to wish Team WCW luck at Bash at the Beach, which is, you know, very kind of him, obviously. That's a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It shows that everyone in the company is thinking about this match coming up, doesn't it? Yeah, and I believe he said he wanted to be part of the team as well. Yeah, but you're not in the top six, Mr. <laughs> Guerrero. Your name was not added to that little hat that, you know, Mean Gene drew the names out of and so on. So, yeah, I'm afraid. Politics. Well, there we go. You want to keep buggering off to Japan and wrestling in these tournaments? This is what's going to happen. <laughs> That's simply the way it is. That's the way it works. Uh, 
Coming up next is hour two. So we got a little countdown to the second hour, the little stick of dynamite in the corner and uh, Tony Schiavone getting unnecessarily excited at every 10 seconds that pass. But we have also the entrances for our next match. And again, it's a, it's a rematch from what we've seen recently, but it's a very big ATIS throwback because we have a tag team that is formed from members of the Four Horsemen and they are facing the Rock and Roll Express. Danny, do you do you enjoy this kind of thing? Because the Rock and Roll Express, as iconic as they are, here in 96, it's past their prime. They're still, to me, entertaining enough, but it's past their prime. This is not peak Rock and Roll Express. And it is a very 80s look they have. What do you think about the Rock and Roll here in 96 on Nitro? I think that they are brought in to, from what I can see, um, they're brought in to... Because they know that um, WW know that they'll have a great match, like they'll have a, a like a match against, especially against Christian Wall and Arn Anderson. It's like okay, we're not we know that these two are going to be dependable. We know that these two have been wrestling forever. Um, you make a great point sir, about them being past their prime, but um, they could still be very serviceable, and they weren't like to the point where they are. Well, you if you booked them in two, 2023, I'm sure they couldn't give this level of effort in. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were still wrestling last year. You know, they yeah. were still wrestling, you know. Uh, and Ricky Morton is now tagging with his son in the NWA sometimes. Yeah, I, I think that was even last night. There was a show on uh, YouTube. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. And Ricky Morton, I mean, he doesn't... He looks a certain age now, obviously, because he has reached a certain time in his life. I'm trying to be, you know, be polite here, and he's still throwing drop kicks. He's still hitting hurricane runners. You know, they may not be as flashy, as quick, or as nimble as they once were, but he's still out there doing it, Danny. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of, you could say the same thing about 96. They were still out here. Both of them were still out here doing it. And um, they knew that it was going to have a good match with Chris Benoit and Arn Anderson. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't really criticize, to be fair. I mean, I, I can't throw a drop kick. I can't throw a Hurricane You know, I get out of breath getting up to go to the fridge. So I'm in no position to judge. But there we go. Uh, something I really noticed as well that was unusual for the Rock and Roll Express in any era but I suppose we are in Charlotte. Huge boos for the rock and roll when they first come out because the crowd are all about the horsemen, aren't they? Yeah, uh, that's something I noticed as well. But I'll tell you what, um, Mongo McMichael looked the business, didn't he? Oh, did he ever. Mongo comes out with a horseman team of Benoit and R. Anderson carrying the briefcase still, which is a nice touch, I think, because it's a useful weapon, as we'll, we will see shortly. Wearing the four horsemen T-shirt sunglasses on hair tied back and he just looks every bit the horseman doesn't he i know yeah I, I know some people laugh at mongo being in the horseman looking back in hindsight and so on but with regards to that us looking now at the weekly television and seeing how it happened and looking at mongo's arrogance confidence and so on i think it really works yeah Especially in this early um, stages. Mm. And if you if you ask Ric Flair as well, I've heard him talk on his, his own podcast and numerous other interviews and so on. And, and you ask Flair about Mongo and the Horseman, he says Mongo was more of a Horseman than numerous other guys who were in the group. Mongo would be the one who would live like a Horseman. He would be out 
in the bar with them till the early hours. He he'd be partying all night long. He would be, you know, in the gym with them the morning after. He lived the horseman life. And Flash says he was more of a horseman than certain other members that joined the group. So that's an interesting point as well, I think. Yeah, and it just shows um it's like, okay, this is why he's joined. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We start the match with Ricky Morton being very quick, throwing lots of drop kicks and so on, before Arn Anderson tags into a good reaction from the crowd. Arn attempts, uh, well, he, he, he tempts Ricky Morton round the corner on the outside for Benoit, who was crouched down hiding, to clobber him. And I thought that was just such simple but brilliant heel shit, Danny. Yeah, it really was. And there's also a, a violent-looking elbow thrown by Chris Benoit in this match that just took me, was like, wow, that actually looks rough. Yeah, Benoit, everything Benoit does looks looks very realistic, I think. Yeah. Uh, the horsemen are in control for quite a while then, before Robert Gibson tags in, and he ends up in a backslide with Benoit. Mongo gets up on the apron once the referee is distracted, wallops Gibson on the head with the case, and the four horsemen win. This is followed by Joe Gomez running out, which took me by surprise. And he attacks Mongo, because apparently we're told then that Mongo and Joe Gomez are facing one-on-one at Bash at the Beach. Before the four horsemen just basically slap Joe Gomez about for a bit, don't they, Danny? Exactly, mate. But And we were talking about this last week. He was like, where was Joe Gomez? But now, as you uh, correctly predicted, he's here and he's actually trying to get um, his revenge. And I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, it didn't go well for him, though. He ended up no. getting a bit slapped about a bit before Randy Savage and Kevin Green went out. The horsemen then just basically go for a bit of a run, take a time out and skulk off down the aisle, getting cheered by the, the North Carolina fans, even though in the ring, they've got a guy who plays for their NFL team and match <laughs> Randy Savage, who is one of the biggest baby faces in wrestling. They're all about the horsemen, aren't they? Yeah, all night. I mean... Mm. Yeah, they're they're just here for the horsemen. At the beginning of this match, though, Danny, we had on the WWE Network, I don't know if you noticed this, the little warning that pops up across the bottom of the screen that says that this this is being shown um, as as close to quality as they can get. Uh, Mm. any Any issues or any technical difficulties are production problems from the original recording. Now, I didn't really notice anything after that came up. No, neither did I. Um, they should have put it with the uh, public enemy match. That would have been more, made more sense. <laughs> well, just a warning saying we're really, really sorry, but this is a public enemy match. <laughs> yeah, no, but just for the music. I mean, yeah, but I didn't notice anything either. So maybe there was something that was edited out, possibly. Mm. Yeah, maybe there was. I'll have to look into that. Perhaps there was a scene or, or something in particular that was cut. I don't know. Hmm, interesting. Okay. After we see this this kind of little melee in the ring between Joe Gomez, the Horseman, Savage, and Kevin Green, we see Mean Gene again. And he <laughs> is backstage with Ric Flair. And Flair now has three ladies with him because he has Deborah McMichael, uh, Elizabeth, and woman. Flair basically just gloats about having the women around him and, and so on. Talks about the Horseman being at full strength again. And the horsemen then arrive, and everyone's a bit shouty, ranty again, before Mean Gene says, let's go back to the ring. Uh, that's kind of all I took from this, Danny. Have I missed anything there? No, it, very much like the babyface promo earlier. It was kind of like a bit much. Like There was a lot of people there. Um, 
Yeah, but the only thing is Deborah has actually fitted in very well to the uh, stable. Would you say so, sir? Yeah, I think Deborah is a, a natural heel. Yeah. When you see Deborah in babyface role, she was at the start of her appearances here. I it it didn't it seemed a bit off. It didn't seem quite very. It didn't seem natural. I guess mm. is the word I'm looking for. Genuine. Now she seems yeah genuine yeah spot on. Now she seems a lot more natural, a lot more genuine in this kind of heel role. And you think back throughout her career now, looking back from from modern day and so on, her stuff with Jeff Jarrett, her stuff with Austin, she worked well as a heel. I don't remember a run as a babyface that ever really seemed successful. Yeah, I mean, her last uh, sort of scenes were as a babyface for Stone Cold's wife. Um, in I'm talking like April 2002, just before everything went to shit for her and Austin. Right, yeah. Um, she was a babyface, and it just didn't come off very well. I mean, it was like, like they're there to see Stone Cold, not Stone Cold and his wife. Mm. yeah that's fair enough that's fair enough uh, next up then we have alex wright facing diamond dallas page and this really feels 1995 nitro to me yeah this could have been, this could have been a match that was on the mid card in the very first nitro for us danny definitely mate um that's i kind of wrote the same thing it was like we're taking two steps back here with um DDP versus Alex Wright, but it, and it was a serviceable match, but it just, yeah, it just didn't feel, didn't roll with the momentum we're having. No, no, exactly. Um, I suppose, though, it's a kind of another step in the journey for Diamond Dallas Page. I mean, Alex Wright, I enjoy, and we've sang the guy's praises on, on Nitro Nights here before, haven't we, Danny? Because in the ring, yeah. he is quite entertaining. Diamond Dallas Page, we know, is going to go on and be a star. And he's still working towards that here. And it's another win for Paige on another weekly television show with the Diamond Cutter. So it's just, to me, it's another step in the journey. It's another, another sort of, you know, step in that direction that Paige is going. Yeah, it really is. And um, I liked, uh, there's a good, a very strong looking gut buster thrown by DDP in this match as well. Yeah, there's quite a bit he does that I, I enjoy, to be honest. Uh, well, Alex Wright as well. Alex Wright does uh, there's quite a good-looking atomic drop at one point. Yeah. Uh, he hits an axe handle and a drop kick, both from the top rope, that look quite good. Uh, DDP does get his knees up on a splash attempt from Alex Wright, though, which results in the diamond cutter and the three. And like you said, Danny, it was a, it was a functional match. It was a good enough match. It wasn't it wasn't terrible, but I wouldn't have been devastated if I didn't watch it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing this match will be remembered for is the um, DDP versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan taped fist match at the pay-per-view announcement. Yes, that's true. Gene pops out of his little uh, little lamp again, the little genie of the microphone <laughs> that he is, and he talks about uh, DDP versus Duggan at Bash at the Beach taped fist match. DDP sells this very well, I think. He's asking, why is he in this match? This is ridiculous, and so on. And I, I kind of go along with that statement. Why is he in this match? It's ridiculous. What's the point? But it is what it is. Uh, the big thing that I have, a big takeaway that I have from this match, again, though, is that all the way through, we have Tony Schiavone and now Bobby Heenan on commentary. We're in hour two, of course. And they're talking the outsiders again, all the way through the match. Mm. And... Again, it's getting that balancing act right for me. 
the outsiders, the invasion, the bash at the beach match, who's the third man, all that, all of that is the biggest thing in wrestling. Yeah. So I understand where they're coming from. However, I do kind of struggle to fully invest in the match when the commentators themselves are not invested. Yeah, I, I can see that as well, mate. It's like, okay, we, we, we're having this match on now, but we're just putting this on to fill airtime so we can talk about more important issues. Mm, yeah. Um, Kevin Green also speaks with Mean Gene after we get another promo for Glacier arriving in WCW very soon. Uh, and Kevin Green basically says he's going to get the NFL season out of the way. And when that's done, he's going after Mongo and the Four Horsemen. So there's something for us all to look forward to there. <laughs> I, I found that, um, I don't know, I just found that odd because Kevin Green saying like, okay, my football career is more important than my revenge against somebody that I thought I could trust. I thought this was unneeded, Si, honestly. Um. I, I, I can kind of get it, though, to be honest, mm. because, okay, playing devil's advocate then, let, let, let's have a look at it this way. Yeah. He's not going to be actively involved in anything whilst still playing football. Yeah. Purely because of the money in American football, the money in the NFL. Green is a big name at this point in the NFL. These teams you know, pay out huge amounts of cash for these players. They're massive financial investments. They, you know, it would be very difficult for Kevin Green to get permission to go, you know, let some guys throw him around a wrestling ring for 10 minutes. Yeah. So because of the timing of it, then you can't delay the NFL season, obviously. So because of the timing of this, I think that we're not going to see Kevin Green, you know, miss football for wrestling because the football is his livelihood and they're paying him huge money and so on. If... Kevin Green then didn't say anything. I think it would look worse because ultimately Kevin Green's not going to deal with Mongo right now because of the NFL. There's no way of getting around that. There's no way of avoiding that. That's the way it is. So if Kevin Green didn't say anything and then turned up months down the line, would that be worse? I think Uh, potentially it would. I yeah. mean, at least here he's addressing it and saying, I've got to go and play football. But when I'm done, trust me, I'm coming back and I'm going Mongo hunting is the term he uses. Yeah. Would, if you removed that and then he turned up as a surprise, the surprise could be interesting, but then people could be asking, well, where has he been for the God knows how many months? I, I don't know, Danny. What, what do you think? No, that you make a great point, actually. Now you said about the money um, aspect of it. He's obviously not going to quit NFL um, just to go play wrestler. But no, 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 that's actually a really good point. Now I can fully understand it now because um, he would be sort of like when uh, on this rewatch when um, uh, Mr. Wonderful just turned up uh, months after being attacked and stuff like that. It's sort of like that. And we was very disappointed in that. So, yeah, I can see your point now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, it all just comes down to like pretty much everything, doesn't it? It all comes down to money, I guess. Yeah. You know, and he's he's not going to risk injury and risk the NFL and the people who pay his wages, I suppose. But there we go. And also, just just a little point on that is like it would destroy kayfabe if if he didn't if he just didn't um, he just disappeared from WWE, showed up on the NFL, and people are like, oh, why has he been? And he'd be hounded with questions. So yeah, I think this was needed actually. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> 
I'll tell you what. That, yeah, that's spot on. If if they'd done some kind of injury angle with him mm. and wrote him off television that way, so he can go and play football, it's not like you, it's not like when you get an injury angle, like like the Sandman in ECW, for example, when he was written off television being blinded and nobody saw him for God knows how long and all this sort of stuff. You can't do that with Kevin Green because people are going to tune into you know the NFL games and go, hang on, that bloke was beaten <laughs> up on the other channel. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so yeah, it's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of, I suppose, the way it had to be. May not be ideal, and if the circumstances were different, they could have potentially done something a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit more imaginative with this. But I think, considering the circumstances, the NFL season, and all that sort of stuff going on as well, I don't really think they were left with many other options. To be fair, yeah. Mm. You mentioned earlier as well with regards to DDP and Alex Wright, about a match that felt like it was there just to fill time. And I said that I struggled to kind of invest in it because the commentators weren't even invested themselves and so on. The, the epitome of that is what we get next. <laughs> I think we, we have VK Wall Street, uh, formerly IRS in the WWF, and he is facing Randy Savage for no reason whatsoever than to just have a match, which is fine sometimes. That, that's okay. I've literally got three lines of notes for this match Danny because we had even more bash at the beach talk and it was hyped up and again the bash at the beach talk is fantastic Bobby Heenan is selling it fantastically well and Tony Schiavone is brilliant as well but again I, I, I couldn't concentrate I couldn't focus on what was going on in the ring because of all the talk about other things yeah I, I see that as well mate it's like VK Wall Street, uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm done with this character. I mean, it, he was obviously there to just poke fun at Vince McMahon. Um, we've gone into um, his character before, but it's like, uh, couldn't you not face, had someone else face Macho Man? Because um, while he did get a lot of offense in, it, this match was quite boring to watch. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I've got no issues with VK Wall Street being sent out there to lose the Macho Man. In, in the aspect of if you want somebody more exciting, you're going to be sending out a bigger name. Oh, yeah. And if we're just sending them out to get beat, does that affect them? I understand, you know, your point as well, though, of it just seems very much a throwaway match to get Savage out there, which, again, is fine. You know, you would imagine in most places the crowd would want to see Randy Savage, so I can appreciate why they've done that. However, this crowd are just chant- chanting, we want flair throughout the whole match. So... <laughs> Yeah, they're not that interested, are they? No, not at all, not at all. But I, I guess it was to give uh, Macho Man some ring time because he'd been missing a lot of um, action. So, um, okay, they're, yeah, they're preparing him for the pay per view. Yeah, that's a good shot, actually. Yeah, good shot. I didn't think of that. Uh, the, the finish comes as well when Kevin Green, who is out there still with Savage, sends VK Wall Street into the ring post, and then Savage wins with his top rope elbow. So it's kind of a heelish victory at the same time, which is a bit <laughs> odd. Yeah, definitely. That then leads us to our main event of the evening. We have what they are referring to as a triangle match or a triple threat or a three-way dance, however you want to take it, for the world tag team titles. Titles that Tony Schiavone explain are the most prestigious and important in tag wrestling all over the world. Oh, I think that's a fair shite. Uh, we have the team of Sting and Lex Luger defending their championships against the Steiners and Harlem Heat. First of all, three banging entrance themes, Danny. Oh, yeah. I mean, very, very cool to listen to. I mean, I'm so glad all three got their entrances as well. Mm. 
Yeah, and with regards to those entrances as well, uh, Sting's got a lovely new coat. <laughs> he has. And also, I made a note about, um, did you see a fan pulled Scott Steiner's jacket and uh, had him nearly over the over the guardrail? <laughs> yeah, I think they were just really keen to like give Scott Steiner a hug or something, weren't they? Yeah. Either that or they've got a death wish, I don't know. <laughs> Do you remember the... Um, I don't know the correct term, I suppose. Rock, emo type band, My Chemical Romance? Yes, briefly. Um, and they did the whole Black Parade thing where they wore the get at the jackets and so on. Yeah. Uh, Sting here with his pink and black jacket looks like... It looks like the, a jacket Bret Hart would wear if he joined My Chemical Romance. Okay, King's Pig, Flatter, get working. <laughs> <laughs> Bret Hart with the emo makeup on and so on, yeah. I mean, he's, he's mopey enough, Bret Hart, to be in an emo band. Oh, yeah, definitely. He sulks <laughs> enough, doesn't he? <laughs> Has the sunglasses for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steiner and... The Steiners and Harlem Heat start the match, um, but eventually uh, they tag out to Sting. The, you know, Scott Steiner tags out to Sting and even the commentators are asking the question why would you do that? Because then both <laughs> members of the Steiners are this is why I hate these kind of matches we've gone through this before on this show I believe in that why would you tag out? Because then it takes away your opportunity to win the match it's one fall to a finish so if you tag yourself out and your team is on the apron you cannot win the tag team championships yeah that is a very very um legit question because i remember watching a, a triangle match uh, well now nowadays it's called triple threat tag team match from uh, wrestlemania 19 and even as a 12 13 year old i remember asking myself why would chris benoit tag out to uh, another tag team it, yeah even like it just it just makes no sense mm, yeah you're spot on you're spot on it's just it's just silly. And again, before we went to the ad break, um, you know, building up to this match, we, we get these little, we don't really discuss them to be fair, Daddy, because I don't think that they're, you know, significant enough. But sometimes when you go to an ad break on the WWE Network, uh, whilst watching these Nitros, we get a little tiny clip of a wrestler that's coming up in the next section of the show, cutting yeah. a quick promo to camera. And they're, they're normally just, you know, full of nothing of, of importance. So that's why we don't really comment on them. Here we had Sting and Luger talking to the camera about their upcoming match with this this main event contest here. And Sting refers to it as no DQ, no count out. <laughs> I missed that. But right? Yeah. So if that's the case, and, and to be fair, most triple threat matches, I believe, are no DQ. That's what seems to be the standard rule, doesn't it? Yeah. Why are they tagging in a night anyway, then? <sighs> it's a mess. I mean, these types of matches, they're not, they're just, you don't see them very often. And I think it shows here why. Uh, I just don't get on with this match format at all. I just think it's a bit lazy, a bit straightforward, trying to just get, but trying to just you, get people on the card and, and get yeah. this, this three-way match, I suppose, Danny. But what were you going to say? Sorry. No, I was just going to say, what do you think of adding another team and making a fatal four-way tag? Again, it depends how it works. Yeah, I've got no issue with triple threat matches and tag teams, uh, you know, as it, as it is, or even a fatal four way and tag teams. I've got no issues with that at all. My issue is that in that format, when you've got three or four teams stood on the outside and only two guys in the ring, yeah, 
So two of the, say for example, we were fatal four way, two of the teams, both members are on the outside. And again, it comes back to the logical thing of, you know, the, the realism, I suppose, aspect to these, to these wrestling shows. I want to believe what I'm watching is real, even though deep down, I know it's not. Yeah. I, I don't want to be sat here going, well, that was bullshit or that was nonsense or whatever. So watching people tag out the match to other people that are not their own partner makes zero sense with regards to the the reality side of things the realism of the, of it that trying to convey it as a, a sporting contest with a prize for the winner it makes no sense at all that that would happen yeah so if you've got a fatal four-way which we've seen numerous times at wrestlemania and so on and you've got two teams stood on the outside and then two guys in the ring from the other two teams why would they tag the other teams in it makes zero sense. They would tag their own partners. So you might as well just have an ordinary fucking tag match for that aspect. <laughs> to me, if you're going to do it, have one guy from each team in there. So a fatal yeah. four-way, I mean, don't get me wrong, this could be incredibly messy as well. But from a logic standpoint, from the realism standpoint, if you're bringing in a, a triple threat or if you're having a fatal four-way and it's a tag team uh, in the tag team division, then it should be done like that. It should be done with one member from each team in the ring and they can tag in and out with their partner. Yeah. That to me is the, that to me would then add that sense of realism to this, this, this tag multi-team format. However, they don't do that. So to me, it's nonsense. Yeah. No, that is all great points, mate. It's like, cause as I was watching this, I was thinking, Okay, why didn't they just have two teams wrestle first, and the winner of that that match straight away faces the uh, third team? It doesn't have to be the tag team champions. They could flip up a coin and say, "Okay, Sting and Lex Luger face the Steiners. Whoever wins faces Harlem Heat." Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the the match itself we end with Luger being pinned, and, and Luger and Sting lose the tag titles. So it's not even like we've got a scenario where we have a triple threat sometimes to get the championship off a wrestler or team without that guy having to eat the pin. Yeah. We see that quite often, don't we? Where we think, you know, wrestler a is going to win the match, but he's not going to pin the champion because that would affect the champion or, you know, this like Brock Lesnar losing a championship happens. So uh, few and far between the occasions where Brock loses a championship, where he is pinned clean. It, Brock's lost titles in triple threat matches before when somebody else has been pinned. Yeah. And it's usually, a way, sorry, usually, usually the big show. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it's a way of getting the title off the dominant champion without them having to look less dominant. That's not even the case here. We can't even use that reasoning behind this match format here because it's Luger, one of the tag champions, who actually takes the pin as well. So you could have had a straightforward... I mean, Harlem Heat walk out as tag team champions. You could have had a straightforward match, match between the Harlem Heat and Sting and Luger and had the same finish, and it would have made zero difference to everything else we watched. Yeah, we're not a fan of this uh, triangle tag team match on Nitro Nights. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, basically, running through some high points of the match, Booker T misses a big, high spinning kick but lands on the top rope. And whereas, you know, it looked painful, it looked spectacular as well. Booker T was so athletic. Uh, Sting misses a Vader bomb, which is quite interesting. 
Um, Stevie Ray attempts to pin Sting here, and I really liked this because Stevie Ray had his hands on one shoulder and put his knee on the other shoulder and pressed down. And again, it comes back to the realism, the yeah. making it look genuine. He's forcing the guy's shoulders down on the mat with all of his weight and strength. He looks like he's trying to win the match. I really like that little touch, Danny. Yeah, it's something we don't see enough of um, at any point. I mean, this is just so rare. Mm. Uh, Booker T ultimately misses a splash from the top rope, which leads Lex Luger to get the hot tag. And as Luger comes into the ring, there's a bit of a commotion and Hall and Nash, or the outsiders as they're referred to here, or those gentlemen, Tony Schiavone is referencing them as throughout the show. They arrive through the crowd with a couple of weapons, Danny. Yeah, they come in with baseball bats and Bobby Heenan is selling this brilliantly. He's actually really scared and um, even Tony Schiavone as well. But it's like Bobby Heenan have to give him an MVP shout out here because he's like, he, he's thinking that they're coming for him. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and the hold obviously the W. Um, t- this, I, I will say, after the, you've seen the outsiders come in, um, the match was irrelevant to me. I mean, even the finish, it was like, I don't care anymore. And it is a shame because this is obviously a Harlem Heat, one of Harlem Heat's many tag team title wins, but it was like, we don't care because the outsiders are here. I mean, that's a really good point. And I can understand the crowd not being too bothered about the end of the match, not being mm-hmm. too fast on what happens because the outsiders are arrived. I can understand you watching um, uh, being the same as well because the outsiders are here. I'm not too interested in the in the finish of the contest. I mean, ultimately, the end is uh, during the commotion of the outsiders arriving, um, a member of Harlem Heat rolls Lex Luger up. The other member of Harlem Heat holds his feet as the referee counts the three. So they are tag team champions once again. My issue isn't with any of any of that. My issue is with Lex Luger looking like he doesn't care about the finish of the match. Yeah. Luger's just lost his tag team titles here. He and Sting's tag team championships. Apologies. And he just jumps straight back up. No reaction to the pin. No sign of frustration whatsoever. No, no disappointment of having lost his title. He just jumps straight back up to stand next to the Steiners and look at the outsiders coming in. It's it's so weird, you know? Yeah, it definitely is. It's like he's got bigger fish to fry because he uh, has to defend WSW. But yeah, that's a great point. It's like, oh, well, I just lost a normal match. It's that, almost like he's in disbelief. Mm. Yeah, it just came across like he didn't care. Yeah. And that belittles the titles to me. Definitely. But I hope, I'm glad that um, Harlem Heat won them because Harlem Heat have definitely been stepping up their game over the last couple of months. Mm. Okay. I mean, let's talk through what we see here at the end of the show then, with regards to uh, around the ring at least, because the outsiders come down through the crowd carrying their bats. Uh, the, the wrestlers in the ring majority of them all stand together in the ring. The outsiders are on the outside of the ring on the floor. Then a load of police get in the ring and they're armed. The camera is very quick to focus upon the fact that they, they have guns and the guns are there unclipped in their holsters, ready to be drawn at any quick notice that is needed. The outsiders then kind of skulk back down the aisle way and disappear because nothing else is going to happen. They're not going to be able to get in the ring. No WCW wrestlers are coming out to them. So it's kind of a bit of a stalemate, I guess. It was yeah. cool seeing Hall and Nash again, of course. 
But that aside, Danny, how did you feel this this particular segment went? Because I've got my own views that, that I'll share with you in a moment. Well, to me, I just felt was a, a tad bit silly because any time, especially in the 90s and the 2000s, any time you see a policeman with a gun, it's like, and you're just like, oh, come on, this is too unrealistic. <laughs> this is like, this isn't Breaking Bad or something like that. This, like, we, like, I just, uh, to me, I just found it a little bit, but I think the police, um, if the police weren't there and it was just wrestlers, it would have been a lot better. And I think Hall and Nash definitely, um, they were the highlight of this because they did, they acted, they didn't really act scared, but they acted kind of like, oh, we better get out of here in sort of a sarcastic way. But I think, I don't think the, the guns were needed. Uh, what do you think, Sai? Well, with regards to the guns, I've not got a massive issue. To, well, no, first of all, let me rephrase that. I do have a massive issue with guns. I hate them. Yeah. Okay. But this is America. This is the police. They carry guns. I can appreciate why they've got them. That that didn't. That wasn't particularly jarring to me. The guns being there because I just assumed well they're police in America. If that makes sense. Yeah. Now, my issue with this this particular segment is we've had this paranoia built up all the way through the show. This the, the, literally every segment has been dominated by talk of the outsiders and bash at the beach and so on. When they arrive, it's very late in the day. We're given literally a minute or two of seeing them on our screen, which is great because less is more. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's well done, I think. However, these are two guys carrying bats. You've got six of the biggest, toughest guys in WCW in that ring. There's only two guys on the outside with bats. And it almost felt like the WCW guys were hiding behind the police at one moment. Mm. When you watch it back, there is this line of the police and it almost felt like the WCW guys weren't acting like they were really keen to get their hands on them. It wasn't like the WCW guys were being restrained by the police. That's a big thing for me. Yeah. The police were there to stop Hall and Nash. The WCW guys stood behind the police almost like they were being protected. And to me, it kind of made them look a bit a bit cowardly, a bit weak. Mm, all I this talk, you know, all this talk from Eddie Guerrero, from Sting, from Luger, from Savage, from everybody. And we even get it from Tony Schiavone after this you know, moment here. All this talk of you want to try and invade, it's not going to happen. You want a war, we're going to fight you. And they all want to be involved in the match and all this sort of stuff. We can't wait to get our hands on them and all, all this nonsense. There's your chance. They're stood 10 yards from you. There's six of you there, plus however many in the back. And they're allowed to just stand there and pose and laugh at the WCW guys and then walk walk away. Walk through the WCW arena. Walk through the, the, the building that WCW own or rented for that evening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a WCW arena for that night. It's a WCW ring. It's a WCW setup. It's a WCW television program. These two guys who everyone is screaming and shouting, saying, we can't wait to get our hands on you, are right there. Yeah. Right in the center of the ring. And they're just allowed to just literally strut out whilst laughing at them. And it just, whilst the WCW guys make no effort to get past the police. If the police stood firm 
and you had the likes of Scott Steiner and Sting and Luger and whoever else trying to fight their way through this line of police and the police holding them back, even threatening to arrest them if they don't step back and all this sort of stuff. That, to me, changes the whole dynamic of this segment. That, to me, means the reason that we've not had the fight is because the police have stopped the WCW guys from doing it. That that saves face for me. I don't want to see National Hall in any kind of physical confrontation yet. You know, I don't want to see them in a fight yet. That's that's not that's not what this is about. But at least make it seem like the WCW guys want to get their hands on them. Yeah. They looked they looked weak. They looked like they were hiding behind the police. And it looked like Hall and Nash were laughing at them. Now, you add to that the the supposed theory, the supposed story in that these are two guys from up north, as the saying goes, two WWF guys invading WCW. You've effectively got two WWF wrestlers scaring off the top half of your tag division on their own. How weak does that make WCW as a company look in general when you've got just two guys from WWF there? Yeah. It's, that's a great point. I was actually going to ask you that. How would you have booked this? I think you saying that if the WSW guys wanted, uh, were trying to get past the police and things like that, that would have come off a lot better. Definitely. Mm. I mean, also, we don't know. We know roughly where it's going to lead because we know some of the main story points. However, the weekly television, we're seeing things that aren't publicised or aren't very well remembered. So we don't know exactly where this is going to lead us to next week's TV and so on. So maybe this plays into something that's coming up. Don't get me wrong. However, initially watching this back now, it makes those guys in the ring and anyone else in the WCW locker room who's ran their mouth about the outsiders and has said, we can't wait to get our hands on them. We wish we were in the match. How dare they do this to Bischoff and all that. All these guys who have run their mouth about Hall and Nash turning up. It makes them look like shithouses because they've turned up and you've done nothing. Yeah. You know, it's two yeah. guys. There's two guys. There's six of them in the ring. God knows how many more in the, in, in the change room. There's, it, there's two guys. Yes, they've got bats, but there's two guys. Two guys, but a third looming, possibly. Well, yeah. I mean, but, but at the same time, I, you, <laughs> I, I, I don't want the physical confrontation. I don't want anything to get physical yet because it'll take away from what we're building towards. Yeah. But if the WCW guys... We use Scott Steiner as an example then, because he was very vocal at the beginning of the show, saying to Sting and Lugo, I've got your back and I, I wish I could get my hands on these guys and all that sort of stuff. Here's your opportunity, Scott. Yeah. And you've literally just stood there adjusting your knee pads for a little bit <laughs> behind the policeman. Right now, what if Steiner saw those guys, acted like he'd lost his temper, went to rush them? The police grab him, hold him back, maybe even go as far as to handcuff him. And Ooh. pin him down. And whilst they're doing this, they can be shouting loud enough for the cameras to pick up, saying, Mr. Steiner, this is for your own good. This is for your safety. That makes the outsiders still look strong. Steiner doesn't lose face. You know, the police are the ones who are stopping the physical confrontation from happening. And you can even have Hall and Nash stood there pointing and laughing at the WCW guys getting arrested before they walk out the arena or even better before they're escorted out the arena by more police. And all of a sudden this whole segment completely changes the feelings I now have about those WCW guys. Cause they were left looking scared. They were left looking weak. 
Yeah. And they were left looking kind of bloody silly. Yeah. No, great points, mate. It's like that one thing could have changed the entire segment. Yeah, just the feeling of it, yeah. Um, also, Harlem Heat are left as, as a complete afterthought, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And we're going to get to that in a moment when we do our sort of summing up of the episode. But yeah, um, yeah Harlem Heat are the new tag team champions. And it's not even really mentioned. I mean, Shivani does say it on commentary, but there's no reference to it whatsoever. That's a title change. That's a, that's a big deal. Sting and Luger have been tag champs for a while. They've had this massive ongoing storyline about is Luger really Sting's friend? Is, are they going to split and all that? That's been pushed to the side a little bit now because we have the whole um, invasion. Act. But they've been very entertaining. They, they've been a, a, a plus point on the weekly television, the odd couple tag team. We've spoke about it numerous times and there's been numerous occasions where my woo for the week has been Sting and Luger and the, the what's going to happen aspect. You know, and then to yeah. have them drop the title to Harlem Heat, which is a big deal, just get swept under the under the rug. It it just feels like a, it's almost like the whole tag division here was just an afterthought. And for the last couple of months, it's been really at the forefront, and there've mm-hmm. been some great tag team matches. Yeah, but yeah, this this was an L for um for the tag team division. Mm, yeah, potentially, potentially. Uh, after this, we have Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone summing up the episode as they normally do on the commentary desk. Heenan is fantastic here, selling the fact he doesn't know where the outsiders have gone. Uh, he needs to leave. He wants to stand up, and Schiavone's trying to calm him down. Tony Schiavone then turns to the camera and cuts a little bit of his, a promo of his own, I guess, basically telling Hall and Nash that you're not just going to turn up and, and take over. That's not the way things work here. And it's like, well, to be fair, from what we've just seen, kind of looks like it is. <laughs> and um, and that's kind of how the show goes off the air, with Bobby Heenan running away, telling Tony Schiavone he'll start the car, and, and, and so on. And that's the end of the episode, Danny, isn't it? Yeah. And it was a nice little sign-off by Tony Schiavone, because um, where the WCW guys kind of looked weak, at least Tony Schiavone posed a tiny little bit of a threat to, to uh, on WCW's behalf. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. So then, our plus points and our negatives, our woos and our brothers. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Danny, first or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, so I'm eager to hear what you thought of this. Okay. Uh, I will start with my O brother for this week's episode, my negative. Um, I've actually got two. One is quite straightforward. There's no Ric Flair. We got a short promo from Flair backstage, but there's no Flair on the TV. I wanted to hear that crowd go mental when Ric Flair came out. Yeah. But we don't get it. But we don't get it. <laughs> but more importantly, my old brother, is that nothing felt important at all. Throughout the whole show, none of the matches seemed important because we were constantly talking about Bash at the Beach and the Outsiders. And again, I can understand why. I can completely understand why. It's the biggest thing in wrestling. Yeah. Getting the balance right, as I've mentioned, between pushing this big thing and commentating on what's in front of you is incredibly difficult. And here they don't get the balance right. They have done in previous weeks, but here they don't. And it's shown that when the balance isn't right, when that is a miss, nothing feels important because you're talking about something else all the time. Every match on the show, the tag team title change, 
nothing felt important because it was dominated by talk of the outsiders and bash at the beach yeah what about yourself danny you're a brother Mine would definitely be Ric Flair not appearing in a match because the whole night from the opening of Nitro, we heard we want Flair, we want Flair. They had the VIP table out and everything. Ric Flair never showed. I mean, Mm. he could have done his business um, uh, the week before in a pre-taped backstage segment. The fact that he wasn't even booked on the show, it was like, oh man, really? Like, no, you could have just thrown him into just even in ring segment or anything just showed i'm i'm just anxious to see if he actually appeared after the show in a dark match or something um i'm gonna look that up after because if he didn't wow that would be a a big loss there for um this crowd yeah I, i i imagine he did i can't see there being a reason as to why they wouldn't send flair out there or why flair wouldn't want to go out there himself hmm you know, I, I imagine, I fully expect that he was involved in a dark match after the fact. Yeah. I'd be very, very surprised if that, that didn't occur. So, yeah, but not being on television. I mean, the only, the only motivation I can see is that Flair and the Horsemen are supposed to be heels, but they're getting babyface reactions. Oh, yeah, that so, makes all the sense in the world. You're saying that now. So maybe they didn't want Flair to go out on television get a babyface reaction and muddy the waters for the people watching at home. That's the only motivation I can see. But even that, I'm not fully on board with. It's very easy to go around that. And I think the visual of Flair walking out in in Charlotte to a crowd that have been chanting, we want Flair, it is well worth the risk and get him out there, get him on the television. So I agree with you, Danny. Yeah. Um, according to... Uh the internet Ric Flair didn't have a match on that um, Nitro I've just had a quick look on uh, his database no it wasn't there there we go eh? there we go (laughs) Uh, my woo then my plus point my positive is Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan's sign off from the episode yes I've criticised the way that the commentary was I suppose dominated by talk of Bash at the Beach and so on. But the sign-off here is a time when they should be referencing the Outsiders, the Invasion, and Bash at the Beach. And Bobby Heenan is his usual fantastic self, but Tony Schiavone really steps up at the end of the episode, and I think that was a real high point for me. What about yourself, Danny? Mine would be, sticking with the announcers, mine would be actually someone who wasn't there, Eric Bischoff, um, selling that he wasn't... uh, able to get on Nitro because he's uh, been attacked, he's selling his injuries where it's it's just so refreshing. That's what I was saying at the beginning. It was like, you just, you, you don't see it at all these days. You see someone, someone can be electrocuted, thrown through a flaming table and appear on the next night's TV show. And Eric Bischoff's <laughs> now two weeks, well, it feels like two, eight days basically away from, um, uh, being powerbombed off the stage and he sold it brilliantly just by not appearing and by Tony Schiavone saying Eric Bischoff's in hospital um, you, it just feels so realistic I love it yeah that, that's the thing for me it's the realism it's, mm. yeah that, that works I mean, bearing in mind as well this is a this is a wrestling company that once murdered a guy by throwing him off the top of the building and he wrestled <laughs> later on that same night so yeah. that's, that's always worth bearing in mind but anyway uh, hit miss or middling this week my friend I'm going middle this week, Si. I mean, it wasn't a bad episode of Nitro, but there was a lot to be desired. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm going middle as well. I think that the bar has been raised so high in mm. recent weeks that 
it's, it's going to be difficult to live up to that height of quality every single week. And here, it's just a little bit of a misstep. There was still enough to be entertained. Um, there's still enough going on that you know to make it a good wrestling show. But the last few weeks have been full on, 100% nailed on hits for me. And this one just didn't feel the same. So, yeah, yeah there we go. Quick Twitter update before we go. No response from Mr. Bischoff yet. Maybe we'll have one by next week, Danny. Let's hope so, mate. <laughs> I suppose, Danny, the only thing left for us to do is to let everyone listening know whereabouts they can find us online. Do you want to let every brilliant listener of Nitro Nights know where they can find you, your other shows, your other content, and all that great stuff, please? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Cy Powell, where we'll be discussing more Nitro. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Uh, Back When, also available via the SJP World Media Network. While we're checking out a show based upon nostalgia, sometimes looking at old wrestling shows, sometimes looking at... Uh, the releases of historic musical albums, sometimes looking at historic TV shows, movies, and so on. So much there. Well worth a listen. I wish back when it was a weekly show as opposed to, you know, fortnightly or when you guys can fit it in because I bloody love it. But, meant, you know, go and check it out on the SJP World Media main feed on all your podcast players. Also, with regards to that, Chuck it a follow at SJP World Media on Twitter and Facebook and on all your podcast players as well. Chuck us a big fat five star review because we're bloody awesome. But most importantly, you can follow this show at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter. Danny, how many Nitros now before Bash at the Beach? Uh, one more now. This is the, Ooh. this is, yeah, just one more. <laughs> Oh, it's exciting. I wonder who the third man is. Could it be you, Si? <laughs> maybe, maybe. My guess, my money is on Glacier or maybe Mabel. I will speak to you next week, my friend. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>